The year this album was released, ride-hailing service Uber was on the rise. Apple released the first generation of its game-changing watch. Sarcasm inserted there. The Ebola pandemic gripped the globe, and Colorado? They legalized recreational weed, dude. Uh, let's see, what else happened? Oh, this week's artist. He's Irish, and after this album was released and went triple platinum in three months, he had a definite pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Growing up Quaker and attending Catholic school, he was a class clown and practical joker, self-proclaiming that school was a monotonous nightmare that needed to be spiced up a little bit. He taught himself guitar and he sang in choir. I mean, pretty, pretty normal fare, I guess, right? He started writing songs at 15 and then he released this week's album when he was just 23 years old. If you haven't guessed the year, it's 2014, folks. We're listening to the Mononymous Hoser's first major album, Hosier, today on Two Dudes and Tones. so much for tuning into Two Dudes and Tunes, the podcast whose hosts have a major personal disagreement over the perfect Oreo cookie to filling ratio. I'm one of your hosts, Wood, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, Chris, despite his wrong think in regards to the superior Oreo. Chris, everyone knows that double stuff is sublime. Defend your position on the disappointing and pathetic single stuff Oreo. Okay, well, first of all, you're starting out calling it disappointing and pathetic. Uh, regular old Oreos are delicious because for years they went about with the perfect ratio of crispy chocolate cookie to sweet, delicious stuff. And that's stuff with one F, by the way. But look, double stuff Oreos should probably just be called extra 25% stuff. I, I am positive that you are not getting a true extra 50% of stuff in your cookie. Don't let big cookies sucker you. They're trying to pull one over on you. Uh, I mean, when I look at HEB and their app, they're the same exact price. So I feel like you're leaving 20%, 25% of the value on the table. If, if it really is 25%, I'm going to fact check it. Do we want to do it by weight or by like, what measure do you want to do? The double would, stuff test. Well, you would, I feel like the simplest way is just to measure a regular superior Oreo and then measure the, uh, the weight of the inferior double stuffed so-called Oreo. And then if, if it is truly double the stuffing, like if the weight is truly a 50% increase, I will eat my words and the cookies. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll eat the cookies. I, I it's say, not like I I wouldn't turn them away. Let's come to some common ground here and reach across the aisle. No Oreo is a bad Oreo. Yes, that, except for the birthday I, cake ones. Those suck. Oh, oh <laughs> man. Oh, birthday cake or birthday cake flavored anything is just <laughs> definitely. <nasty>. So <laughs> that all aside, uh, what's new with you this week, man? Well. It's kind of more of the same uh, illness definitely set me back a little bit. Um, and it was kind of during one of the busiest weeks I've had in a while. Uh, like I mentioned last time, we're in the process of buying our home. That means talking to the loan officer at the bank. That means talking to uh, our landlord's real estate agent. That means trying to understand the half a dozen or so steps that means strangers coming into your house and taking pictures of it mm -hmm. for inspections and appraisals. So our house has been really nice and neat, um, <laughs> which is a change. We're not slobs, but uh, we get cluttered because you know, who wants to put stuff up at the end of a work day? Um, but look, I, I don't want to spend too much time complaining about it because we're buying a house. Like that's a great thing. So, um, we're real excited about that. The The actual news is that my brother is moving to Nebraska 
to work at a uh, kind of a nicer summer camp up there. He uh, came over yesterday for kind of a going away smoke. He smoked a cigar. I smoked a pipe. And we kind of just sat around and enjoyed the evening, talked about his plans. Um, and it was nice, man. I'm proud of him. He's doing what he wants. And we're going to play some Mortal Kombat over the uh, internet on PS4. So it's going to be good. I'm excited about it for him. Nice. Yeah. What about you? What's What's new in your world? Well, this weekend, uh, Tiffany had to work three days in a row. So my seven-month-old son, Maverick, and I had kind of a guy's weekend at the house. It was just us, which was kind of nice. It's pretty pretty amazing. I never thought of myself as like the sentimental person. uh, But as I've grown older and as I've had a kid, uh, seeing him develop a personality and watching him experience things for the first time is mind-bogglingly amazing. Uh, that's so great. One of the things we tried, uh, last night, which I nearly fell out of my chair laughing. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Uh, he has started on semi-solid foods like baby foods and we've been doing single ingredient foods. So he's done like fruits and vegetables. He's done, you know, apples and grapes and pears and, you know, all those different things. And we tried his first protein last night, which was chicken. And it smelled like cat food like it smelled so bad and he put one like half mouthful of it in his mouth spit it everywhere and started screaming like it was the worst thing that we'd ever done oh, to him no. <laughs> it was dad how could you what so, is this so we quickly reverted to peaches and everything was okay <laughs> oh that's funny uh poor kiddo yeah and then um Kind of the last two things at work, I'm finishing a major project, launching a new uh, fleet maintenance garage in the Houston area uh, for my employer that will service about 3,000 company vehicles there. And so that's been a project that I've been working on uh, since about this time last year. And we're moved into the new site and we've got all of our equipment set up finally and we got our occupancy permits and we're turning wrenches at the new shop, which is pretty cool. Uh, seeing it shape up finally after a year of work and dozens and dozens of people trying to get it around. And then I don't know that that's really like newsworthy or whatever, but it's a big accomplishment for me. Uh, cause it's the first oh, time. Man, that's great. Well, and it's the first time at my company that we've set up a completely new shop, uh, in the last like 15 years. So yeah. nobody knew the processes. Nobody knew how to even begin. And I've, kind of reblazed that trail and figured it out. So pretty proud of that. With that said, I think we've got to get into this week's uh, album because I know from conversations with you throughout the week, this was not exactly a pleasant experience for you totally. So let's dive into it. <laughs> yeah, I've got some stuff to say. Let's do this. So Hozier released September 19th, 2014. Um, kind of a made a splash when it came out. I was kind of confused. I didn't realize this until doing research for this album, but they started releasing singles for this album a full year before the album came out. So your absolute favorite song on this album, uh, Take Me to Church, actually released oh in gosh. August of 2013, a year before the album debuted. It um, feels like it was released in like August of 2010 for how much I heard it. <laughs> uh And so before we go much further than that, let's go a little bit behind the curtain on our production process. Normally you and I get together on Thursday nights and we record the album that we just read about uh, for the past week. And so it's a very linear kind of conversation. This is the first week that we ended up doing two episodes in one week uh, because you had a little bit of illness and I had some scheduling comments. So I had to pull the Oracle on my own uh, to get Hozier's album out of the system. And I wanted to clarify, uh, we should have mentioned it last week when we picked uh, this episode. Uh, I had my wife come up here and watch me hit the randomizer on the button. So I didn't just pick this album (laughs) because I felt like it fit with John Mayer. Uh, (laughs) This is just kind of a cool, fun transition that we got to do two very bluesy 
soul inspired albums back to back by just pure fortune. Uh, and Tiffany is my witness. Yeah, I, I trust you, man. And if <laughs> the, the people out there in internet land don't trust you, eh, who cares what they think? Uh, I do. I'd like this show to go on for a while. I mean, yes, please <laughs> give us your five star reviews. We need your approval. <laughs> Validate my efforts, please. <laughs> I need it. And I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it. But this time I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Um, well, tell me a little bit about your experience with this album. Yeah, so it was kind of funny. I was scrolling through, or not scroll, I, I searched on Apple Music, this album, and it popped up, and every track had the little, like, cloud with an arrow download symbol, which meant... It was in my library, but I had not downloaded it to my phone. So at some point I listened to this whole album and I think I remember, um, you know, like a friend of mine in Kansas listening to it. Um, so I had it on my phone at some point and took it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I know that we can get into this. I know that you, dislike how many deluxe editions get released of things. And I am right there with you. It gets tiring having to sift through like, is this a bonus track or is this actual like canonically part of the album? Well, and I do want to talk about that a little bit. And I think this is a perfect time to do that. Uh, First off, I told you what album we were going to be listening to and then did not clarify which version of the album we were listening to. And it was really frustrating to me when I started doing research on this album and realizing, geez, man, the the original album is 13 tracks. Mm -hmm. It's 53 minutes. I picked something that isn't a double album. Thank you so much. Gasp. (laughs) (laughs) The deluxe edition was released just about the same time from what I could tell. And it has four additional tracks and adds another 20 minutes to the runtime. Mm. Then about a year later, the iTunes edition came out, which includes six live tracks. A couple of them are rehashed from the album and a couple of them are totally new. And then after that, there was a target only edition, which had five more tracks that aren't anywhere on this album anywhere. So it's five totally different tracks. So he's released like two whole albums worth of material in just deluxe editions of this album. And that's one of those things that kind of gets me a little ranty and ravey about the sanctity of art. You know, people talk about, you know, you don't mess with a Monet, you don't touch, you know, you don't, you don't mess with Gustav Holst. Like we've talked about him. Art is meant to be appreciated for what it is and then let people build off of it or grow off of it or take influences off of it. And so much in the modern world is just, finagled and finicked with by the artist to no end. I mean, you look at a a band who's not on our list is Linkin Park. They released the same album like nine times, it feels like, because it's all the same tracks. This album gets just touched and messed with to endless report to the point that it's not even recognizable from its original. um, And in our show notes, I kind of throw some shade at uh, George Lucas, who redoes Star Wars every five minutes, it seems like. Uh, who shot <laughs> first? I bet you have. And uh. it just doesn't do anything for the content in my mind. Like, there's no time to let something breathe and let us appreciate it for what it is from a distance, because they're always riffing on the same thing. And that living nature of media, I think, cheapens the overall experience because they keep tinkering with their art. Um, You know, what happened to creating something and just letting it stand on its own? So, yeah, that's, you know, it's an interesting question to kind of ponder because there's so many different instances where you can see why maybe the artist would feel like, Oh, I need to put out my version of it. If you look at film, there's something like uh, Ridley Scott's blade runner, mm-hmm. which 
the producers watched a cut of it and went like, oh, we don't get it. Nobody's going to get it. And so they forced Harrison Ford to come in and do like a bad, dumb voiceover to make it like a noir film. And so that movie has gone through a few drafts where Ridley Scott has a vision that he's trying to get to that he feels people haven't seen yet. Um, or you look at something like the album Let It Be, which has, I think, a couple of different... It may just be the track, um, but the the song Let It Be has been mastered by a few different people and has a few different versions with guitar solos on it. And then Paul McCartney turned around and released Let It Be dot 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 naked. And it was no mastering at all. It was just the mixes from the board or whatever. But then you do have people who do, you know, like George Lucas is a perfect example of like, stop messing with what it was. We all like, well, not us, not you and me, but. Well, I grew up with the originals before he messed with them. Oh, well, see, there you go. See, I, I grew up with the VHS box copy that had like digital Java edited in, Mm -hmm. but you can go online and see like a bunch of different versions. And so, and I think from a music perspective, and this is what's kind of more germane to our conversation if it didn't make the album, I don't necessarily need those tracks stuck on to the end of what you originally wanted the album to be anyway. It's fun for like a retrospective, but you know, a 13 track album that turns into like a 25 or a 30 track album, just because you couldn't bear to not release a live version here or this studio version there, it gets kind of tiresome trying to weed through like, what is this actually supposed to be? Well, and great bands have done a good job of taking their studio albums in lots of cases, recording live versions of it and releasing it as a live album. Like that's Mm -hmm. a great, you know, growth of a certain product medium. But in the case of like this album or Lucas with star Wars, it's just tinkering for the sake of tinkering. I've got nothing else to do. And Mm -hmm. you know, here, here, let me do these five changes here and see how upset the fan base can get. And, and in kind of a, a worse, more cynical view, it kind of feels like, like with the target only edition for this album, for instance, is it just like a money grab? Cause oh, like definitely. this thing went platinum or whatever. So it's like, we don't like, who are you trying to fool? Not that, uh, cause that wasn't, I didn't even know about this until we had this conversation, but with a lot of deluxe editions, even if I'm, if I'm looking for music on my phone and notice that there's a deluxe edition, I will seek out whatever the regular version is because I want to hear what you, the artist, say this album is. And then if I like it that much, I'll go listen to the extra tracks some other time, you know? So I will say, the one happy accident that I've had in recent memory of that is Brandon Flowers Flamingo album where I spent the whole week listening to the deluxe edition and didn't even realize that those last four tracks were Mm -hmm. deluxe edition extra tracks. And I think my favorite track ended up being one of those deluxe tracks. So it was, if I remember correctly, it was. So sometimes they work, but most of the time it's like, nah, come on. It wasn't good enough to make the album. Don't put it on a deluxe or if it was good enough to be on the album and it didn't make the cut for some reason, put it on the next one. you got one in your bag to get the album started with. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of bags, man, this album was such a mixed bag for me. Um, you mentioned the singles and God, I feel like I heard take me to church every time I got in the car like whenever, whenever it dropped, what did you say? Like August of 2014. Cause I, I remember 20, being, yeah. the yeah, single re- drop dropped in August of 2013. Yeah. The album dropped in September of 2014. So you had a year of that single. Oh man. And I, I, I feel like I did hear it 365 times. Like it was just like, um, uh, it was just like that uh, song by Gautier, somebody that I used to know. Those two songs, 
uh, I feel like just played over and over again. And I, I don't, I, if you want to just dive into it, I can start whining. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> because the thing about this album that really like stuck in my craw was the lyrics and in take me to church is kind of a good example of that because the word that Megan used when we were listening to some of it the other day, when we were going to work is it feels a little pretentious. Um, and maybe that's just me, but like in take me to church, uh, it kind of feels like a little, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I'll just read the lyrics and then maybe I'll have some words to like express kind of like my feelings about it. So everybody's heard the chorus. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins and you can sharpen your knife. Offer me that deathless death. Good God, let me give you my life. And so it's just this real weird, like kind of obsessive self-flagellatory lyrics about being like super obsessed with this this girl who's at the center but what so what because you liked this album a lot so talk talk me through like what about it okay so from a lyrical standpoint this that is not where this album shines i will admit that but i am going to come to the defense of the lyrics of this album using artists that you love as your defense (laughs) do it if bob dylan had wrote this album would you be so lyrically disgusted with it because it's as weird and trippy as some of the stuff we've listened to for bob dylan on this album like seriously like i'm not even kidding um some of that weirdness is what i felt about blood on the tracks that you're discussing there. So, and then to go one step further, um, kind of skipping ahead in our show notes and we'll revert back here. This album, Chris was released when Andrew Hosier was 23 years old and had just had his first big breakup. And so think back to your first Uh, big breakup and think about the lyrics of this song. (laughs) Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> so, so to answer your question about Bob Dylan, so Bob Dylan's, Bob Dylan's imagery itself is kind of oblique. Like you don't like he's drawing comparisons between situations and people and things that aren't really readily apparent, mm-hmm. right? But some of the imagery on this album like to me it was just a little gross like a lot of imagery of like like the song in a week for example he kind of does the whole like our love is deathless i imagine us as like two corpses rotting at a field and that's literally the image he says we'll lay there for years or for hours thrown here or found to freeze or to thaw so long we'd become a flower we'd become the flowers two corpses we were two corpses i saw um and and then in the song sedated but before you go on uses, did you yeah, look, yeah, yeah. did you look up the uh the field he describes for that that's an actual place in ireland and uh i looked up the picture of it and it is this is where he envisions them resting so you can see it on the screen and it's like the perfect idyllic like mountain valley with a river in the bottom and a lake and it's it's, how do you get some sort of imagery like that out of a place that is just like perfectly beautiful it it's pretty but he also goes on in that song to talk about like bugs gnawing on them <laughs> and like he has a line about the vault like vultures making noise and just and you know like i'm not i don't know if i want to go as far as to say that that is bad writing because it's evocative i sure did see something in my head and i think um i think that there is value in that but for me 
it it read a little bit better as poetry and I don't know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way as lyrics. Like mm-hmm. it was just kind of, I don't know, maybe. And I think a, a big thing we're going to see in this album is it's just not my bag. Uh, but the other thing, like, so if the lyrics weren't, if the imagery wasn't like gross, the other problem I had with it is just for me personally, and this kind of touches on what you were saying about his breakup and his age. It really felt like he was trying to be real cool and dark and oh look at me. I'm so moody and broken and we're both so broken, but we're just gonna just throw caution to the wind and just be with each other and take solace in our brokenness. Like, um, the line that really, uh, really bothered me. (laughs) Let me scroll down to it here. Uh, to feel your weight in arms I'd never use. It's the God that heroin prays to, (laughs) which is just such a, like, uh, there's a line in a, an emo tune that Megan and a lot of like my friends who really loved emo in high school, uh, quote, uh, and it's something along the lines of like slip my wrists and black my eyes. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like that kind of thing. Uh, me and my ISIS growing black irises in the sunshine, every version of me dead and buried in the yard outside, sit back and watch the world go by like, and inside, I don't want to just sit here and quote lyrics and complain, but stuff like that for me just did not land. Mm -hmm. And I listen to sad mope. Like we listen to city in color. Like there's plenty of, sadness in those lyrics so i don't know if it's just like feels like purple prose to me maybe but but i've talked too much about this you you tell me about it because it's your favorite album and i don't want to sit here and like hog the (laughs) hog the mic well it's definitely not my favorite album but it's on my list of favorite albums yeah um it's probably not really even in the top 10 of my favorite albums honestly but it's something that had its moment in my life and I still, I connect with it um, mainly because it probably was overplayed. I mean, I think nine of the 13 tracks on this were singles released over about a three year span. Uh, But most of those coming out in 2014 and 2014 was one of those pivotal years in my life. Um, And so that, just has stuck with me because that was the music that was on the radio when I was driving to my new job or, you know, getting engaged to my future wife or getting married to my wife that same year. Um, you know, doing life on my own for the first time for a little while before, you know, we got married. And so that's kind of the tunes I come back to. Uh, there's another album on our list that is very uh, tied to that same period of my life as well. And so someday we'll get to it and I'll get to say, Hey, this was that other album uh, (laughs) that I was listening to constantly. Um, And so I do, I want to go back to your comments about the, uh, the imagery here, because I thought of a parallel when you were describing it and reading out the lyrics. And that was, your take on if this is anything like, like how, how do you feel about Tim Burton movies? Ooh. Cause I feel like, I like... feel like Andrew Hozier is like the Tim Burton of music all of a sudden based on the way you just described him. So, so uh, like that's a good comparison because there are, Things there are certain Tim Burton movies that I do like, and so I think the tie-in for between Hozier and Tim Burton is that that specific kind of baroque, flowery imagery, and that sort of dwelling in a sad space. And just 
kind of reveling in whatever dark mood you're in is, is a tricky thing to pull off without coming off as, I don't know, without coming off as like trying too hard to be dark. And so while I think there are moments in this album and moments in other albums that I listen to that really resonate with me and feel like, oh, yeah, man, sometimes I am just super sad. Um, sometimes it comes off as trying to seem like you've reached some sort of deeper truth or some sort of knowledge that I am just so unique and different that I cannot possibly relate to others. Um, and so like, you know, it, it makes sense that this was written after his first huge breakup and there are moments of it that really work. Um, uh, I forget the name of the track, but there's a track that is a lot about him enjoying being alone and being alone with somebody else. Um, and there's a, a, a track where he talks about, you know, falling in love with a stranger, uh, a different stranger every day. Like that stuff works mm -hmm. because he's kind of scaled back this like crazy imagery. Um, but I don't know. That's kind of my take, I guess, to sum that all up is to me, sometimes it sounds like trying to appeal to that sense too much instead of just expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I can't look at his heart and know like, oh, he's actually feeling those feelings or, oh, he's just trying to be deep. But that was how it struck me anyway. Gotcha. I think those are good points to make, Chris, and kind of setting aside the lyrics themselves. Let's talk a little bit about Hozier as an artist, as a musician, and as a writer. So on this album, he's obviously the lead vocalist, and uh, he plays the guitar on every track, the bass on almost every track, the piano on every track, and the synthesizer on every track. So... When I think of what really makes this album kind of tick, short of the drums, this is a Hozier album. Kind of what's your thought on that? Well, you know, that was one of the things that I noticed about it that I really liked. And come to think of it, it's probably what kept me from scrutinizing it any closer than I did when I first heard it. Because, it, like this album has a very consistent feel mm -hmm. uh, stylistically and texturally. Um, it really has an identity all its own. And the music is definitely not at the forefront of my thoughts as far as like what I had problems with. Mm -hmm. um, we can get into this maybe uh, a little bit later, but you know, like it, it is definitely pop music with a blues veneer. And so I wasn't super invested in that, but I did think the production and the arrangement of the songs, like the parts that he's written that he played or that the choir sang what the drummer played, all of that was really very excellent. Like he's, he's a, he's a fantastic arranger, which I think you see a lot in people who play more than one instrument. Like if you look at Stevie wonder or Prince or Dave Grohl, these people who can really sit down and not only, you know, visualize in their head what they want the music to sound like, but if they can execute on those instruments at that level, it winds up sounding very unique and very much, you know, like this is a Hozier album through and through. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was something about it that I really enjoyed. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's been kind of interesting, uh, similar to John Mayer from last week, and I'm sure you'll 
throw me daggers for drawing comparisons to John Mayer here. No, man, it's a good comparison. But similar to him, uh, you know, Andrew Hozier has been very open with his process and kind of been available and very like social media friendly throughout his, you know, you know, arguably pretty short career so far. I guess we're seven or eight years into his presence in popular, uh, the popular dialect. But, you know, he's he's talked about how his work is slow and methodical and meticulous. You know, he's very careful about how he arranges things or writes things. And by the time anybody hears one of his ideas, uh, he can stand and defend it because he's put it through a strainer seven times. And I think that's something that shows in this album as a whole, um, not to the extent of John Mayer, but the things that make the cut in this album, the original 13 tracks, feel like they belong where they are, arranged the way they are, and mixed the way they are. Yeah, I definitely would not characterize this album as slipshod at all. Um that was never a feeling I had. I just don't care for his his specific brand. Gotcha. Um, I and I think that's really what it boils down to is that it's not. It's just not my bag. Um, and it's interesting that uh, you know I brought up the poetry thing. He doesn't like comparisons of his work to poetry. Uh, he can he says that it would be a disservice to poetry itself, which kind of cracks me up because I think it's it's a little verbose for lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an uh, another sticking point for me was it felt like he was cramming a lot of syllables and a lot of words into melodies that would have benefited from being stripped down a little bit. And, you know, that could just be a taste thing because I'm, you know, I have my own opinions and methods when I'm writing music on like, okay, how can I make the melody stick and make the words fit into that melody? Um, But it sounds like he does a lot of work and thinks deeply about what he's writing. None of it ever seemed like tossed off, Mm -hmm. you know, He's not looking for the rhyme. What what works here? Exactly. And that that is something that I do admire um, in songwriters. And, you know, in his work is he's not concerned about like, oh, I've got to craft this like pop tune. Like some of his music is poppy and catchy. Um, A lot of it is, honestly. Like I said earlier, I feel like it's just like pop with a blues veneer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but it is, I do like that he is more concerned about writing something that is true to himself and what he's trying to say and not going like, oh, what rhymes with orange? <laughs> you know, like not getting tied up in all the like dumb nitnoid stuff that pop music kind of gets tied up in. So you and I have a mutual friend who we early on in our lives recorded music with and I I guarantee you he doesn't listen to this podcast and I'm not going to mention his name, but (laughs) you know exactly exactly who we're talking talking about. (laughs) Because I feel like when you look at a picture of Hozier and you look at a picture of him today and you look at the way he writes music today and we're talking about Hozier, I just, I could not help but chuckle at the comparison or the parallel. Yeah, Um, I for sure (laughs) thought uh, thought of this mutual friend of ours. (laughs) But I did want to circle back uh, because we're now to that point in the show notes where this album was written after a breakup. And I would have thought you would have felt a lot better about it. I thought I would have thought this album would have been a home run based on, you know, Dallas Green and, um, you know, some of the other albums, you know, the the Bon Iver album that we listened to. I thought this would have been more of a, a thing that you would have connected with. And so I'm kind of disappointed in that. But I'm also not really surprised. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I get it. I think your your snags with this album are well-founded and well thought out. <laughs> yeah, but you also know that I'm a very fussy and, <laughs> and nitpicky, ideologically motivated, opinionated SOB. So <laughs> it's no surprise. No, and, you know, I think, I think that maybe before we go further, does SOB stand for silly old badger? Cause that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
sorry, old <laughs> blank. I, <laughs> no, but um, I think if I had maybe listened to the whole album when it came out, mm-hmm. um, I think maybe I would have connected with it more. And like, like musically, it was pretty solid. There's some some stuff that I felt like was kind of like a half-hearted attempt at blues. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this album came out at a time when like blues, poppy blues rock was really in. It was. Um, bands like uh, the White Stripes, the Black Keys, which when my wife and I first met, we listened to El Camino a ton. I think that's the name of that album. I'm, I it is. could yeah. be misremembering. Yeah. Um, that one and uh, the album Brothers. Um, anything by uh, Cage the Elephant, you know, that like big funky drums, guitar riffs, blue-eyed soul vocals. Um, I was into that. But I think I just missed this album, and so this album missed me in a way, if that kind of makes sense. What year did El Camino come out? Because I'm going to make a a comment here about the White Stripes, and that is the White Stripes were actually, you know, eight or nine years before this album. Mm -hmm. So the White Stripes walked so Hozier could do his thing. Yeah, I feel like El Camino was way earlier, too. Like you're, you're right. Um, black, so black keys and people have even kind of accused the, this is slightly tangential. People have kind of accused the black keys of ripping off, uh, the white stripes sort of musical aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, yeah, there El Camino a was album on my list. That's why I know this. Yeah. Like I love the and, white stripes and, and they are so I, Honestly, like before I get too deep into like, oh, this guy's just trashing both these bands. I like the White Stripes. I li- I used to like the Black Keys a lot, but I think that like they got kind of pushed into the limelight and I got tired of them. Um, but both those bands, I like their earlier stuff more than their later stuff because the earlier material is kind of more rooted in traditional blues stuff. Whereas kind of the farther each of those bands got into their careers, the more it was like, oh, this is like kind of dancey, hooky, melodic mm-hmm. pop, but we're playing loud overdriven guitars. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think like, yeah, this I think this album would have been right in my wheelhouse when it came out. I will say that. And like there was stuff in it I liked. Um Jackie and Wilson was a really fun tune. Uh, that song that, uh, you know, fall in love just a little bit, a little bit. That song, mm-hmm. like, I dug that tune. There's stuff in this album that I enjoyed. Um, but, yeah, I think I just got tired of the blues rock thing to kind of sum it up. Yeah, well, and I totally see that. And so with that kind of said, I'm going to transition us to the critical perception of this. First off, audiences ate this album up. I mean, it went triple platinum in almost every country it was released in within months of finally coming out. And that's probably attributed to the fact they started dropping singles a year beforehand. So by the time it came out, people were like in a frenzy for it. You got to prime the pump. uh, And that pump was primed. Yeah, for Um, sure. But Metacritic gave this album a 79 out of 100, which that's like, awfully high uh, for a Metacritic review, mm-hmm. uh, especially of yeah. anything in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, what were some of the reviews you saw? So Rolling Stone magazine's John Dolan wrote, blessed with a sensual singing voice and a seemingly bottomless well of lapsed Catholic style conflict, Hosier channels Van Morrison's Celtic R&B, Southern Soul, and Black Keys style garage blues and the intimately roiling songs like Angel of Small Death and the Codeine Scene. Yeah. Um, All Music's Timothy Munger called the album a strong debut, praising the singer's soulful voice and the quality of the material like fellow Irishman Van Morrison did decades before. Hozier draws on the soul and R&B of Jackie Wilson and runs it through the mystery white boy filter of Jeff Buckley. 
adding a touch of Bon Iver's rural indie aesthetic to mix it down to his own dark cocktail. And before we go on, let's talk about that. Both of those reviewers mentioned his voice, and we didn't mm-hmm. touch that any. What's your thought yeah. on? So I, it's interesting. I, I, I felt like I should have enjoyed his voice more than I did. And I don't know if maybe I like listened to it over and over again too much. Cause I did give this album like mm-hmm. three or four listens just because I wanted to be sure I wasn't going off half cocked and just being like, I didn't like it without giving it a proper listen. And he's got a good voice. Um, he has probably I, the most distinctive voice in millennial musicians right now. It's very distinctive. You could not hear his voice and mistake him for somebody else. But I will say of him what other people that I know said about City and Color, about Dallas Green's voice. And his voice, something about it sounds put on to me. Mm-hmm. And that's Almost kind like of an intangible. presenter's voice. Yeah, or just like like he's putting on the character of cool guy who's hurting, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that it could be possible that maybe the like signals are getting crossed. Like it sounds to me like he genuinely went through some heartache, and so once again, this may be one of those things where it's just not for me. Yeah, because. I'm not about to sit here and say like, Oh, he didn't really, this isn't real heartache. He's just being whiny. Like, no, I think the music is probably decently genuine. I think it just doesn't land for me. Um, yeah. And I did want to read one more review cause it was kind of another opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before we wrap up the reviews. And that was Helen Brown from the telegraph, which uh, she wrote that gospel choirs hum and swell tenderly beneath the rougher edges of his riffs. They add mature universal gravitas and often a holy est- ecstasy to an intense, youthful, lyrical tangling of religion and romantic obsession that regularly finds him poised between love and abuse. I feel like that's in a, like a paragraph what you've been trying to say for the last 50 minutes mm-hmm. or so. Uh, and I think that's a good way to wrap up the reviews. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's interesting to note, you know, she, she brought up that, and it sounds like that kind of combination of religious fervor and imagery and romantic obsession that worked for her and it didn't for me. We're both hearing the same things, but taking something away, uh, taking something different away. Um, this may not make the cut. Um, it was in the show notes originally and I deleted it last night and that was a kind of a take on Hozier's religious background. You know, he was raised as a Quaker and mm -hmm. has since stated that he's an agnostic and I kind of get those vibes here, but it still has that very hyper religious kind of feeling to it. Mm-hmm. while the lyrics kind of give off kind of that agnostic, like I didn't want to get too into the weeds on that, yeah. but I can kind of see that in the way he presents and the way this album comes across. Yeah. And, and I think some of that is what contributed to my feeling that it sounded a little try hard mm-hmm. and a little intellectually pompous because the easiest thing to lean on is like, uh, at least in my mind is like, Oh, people who have a faith relationship are obsessive and weird and like overly, you know, stuck to these like bizarre rituals. I'm going to use that imagery to describe my relationship, my romantic relationships and it's going to be like edgy and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that kind of thing works for some people. And I think has, I mean, you know, I have been gripped by infatuations that were not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, and they were remarkably similar. So this may be me lashing out at, you know, uh, like, hey, you lashing yeah, out at 23 exactly. year old. Like, Hey, I see me in that and I don't like it. Uh, so, you know, I think it's important to try and be honest there. Um, but you know, it just may be like a part of my life too. Like I'm not feeling those kinds of feelings anymore. So I'm just like, eh, not for me. Well, that is a great time, I think, to transition to our reviews of this album, Chris. So I'm going to throw it to you. Tell us about a review system and give it a whirl. All right. So just to remind everybody, on a scale of one to six guitar strings is how we will rate these things. One string being the worst, six strings being the best. Um, so this, uh, this album like I've mentioned, is something I might have really liked six years ago uh, or seven years ago now. Jeez, time flies. Um, but right now, not so much. Uh, and I, it has nothing to do with the blues. You know, I love a lot of blues-influenced musicians. We mentioned John Mayer. Uh, I love Gary Clark Jr., the Trucks Tedeschi Band, Los Lobos. The, the list goes on. Um, but Hozier's particular take kind of just leaves me wanting more his vocal style gives off a very try hard vibe that i can't seem to shake same goes double for his lyrics he tries to stuff too many words into his melodic lines and his vocal affectations kind of distracted me rather than emphasizing the lyrics that he was singing um he seems like he's a pretty talented musician um and I enjoyed some of the moments, but as a whole, it was like, it just didn't grab me. Um, and the production is really good. I don't think we touched on the production, but it was award-winning, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. So Take Me to Church won a Grammy for its production, and then the album won a Grammy for Best Album. Yeah. So really well produced. Uh, I believe the producer was Rob Kirwan, and he's done mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. He's awesome. And, you know, like, uh, we didn't talk about it too much, but I really did like the production. The drums are super big and echoey, kind of reminiscent of a little bit of, like, John Bonham. Uh, I like the choirs. That was another thing we kind of touched on, the, like, big choirs to go along with the religious imagery. Like, that's a strength. Um, but I think because of the lyrics and kind of just my personal feelings – about the imagery and stuff. I just found myself rolling my eyes through most of this album, just as I did when I heard take me to church for the umpteenth time. Um, so in the immortal words of Randy Jackson, that's going to be a no for me, dog three out of six strings. Um, and just to remind our listeners, like I don't necessarily think that Hozier is a three out of six string artist, but my experience with this album was like, for me, Eh, it got me like half the way there. Um, but what about you? Because this was on your list. It hurts me personally that you gave Hozier three out of six strings. <laughs> oh, no. When you gave Joe Diffie two out of six strings. Yeah, so. I've, I felt a, a personal sense of guilt dumping <laughs> on two of your favorite musicians in such quick successions. But you will get a chance because I know there's stuff on my list that you're going to hate and that you've already <laughs> hated. So. I'm sorry in advance, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I will get even. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have the mind of an elephant. Uh, so for me, the singles on this album, we've said it, they started coming out a year before uh, the album was actually released. And 2013 and 2014 were two just really big years for me. Um, in 2013, I was uh, invited not to return to a nursing program. Uh, and that had kind of been my identity for a while. And then, you know, the one good thing out of that whole mess was I met this girl who uh, kind of pestered me and bugged me a bunch. And eventually I took her out on a date and all of a sudden we were engaged and married. And seven years later, we have a kid. And so I ended up coming out okay on that deal. Like I'm a, a true winner there. But this album or the singles for this album were on during that period of time. And so when I was making those really long commutes across town to go to school or to work, you know, and at the time I had a car that just had a regular stereo and I couldn't plug my phone in and listen to music. So I was kind of stuck listening to whatever 
the radio had to offer me. Uh, these songs kind of ended up scoring my thoughts on those trips. Uh, and so when I think about it, you know, 2014 was the year I ended up graduating with a seven-year bachelor's degree. Never give up, kids. Uh, keep going. You will eventually finish. Uh, I got married. You know, all those things kind of filling in there. And then working for my current employer, there was just a lot of intense highs and lows. Things changed about me during that period in time. And uh, I feel... I feel like Hozier, the artist, not so much the lyricist, but Hozier, the artist, is probably a generational talent. He has a truly unique sound in the seven years since this album came out, in the eight or nine years since he's become popular, people have started to imitate him almost to the same level that people imitate John Mayer. They're trying to get that vibe, capture that, you know, energy. And I really enjoy the sonic space that he occupies with his style. Um, maybe, you know, I'm guilty of tuning the exact lyrics out and listening more to the melodies and hearing the musicality of his voice more than what he's actually saying. And maybe that's why I feel so much better about this album than you did. Uh, it's something that I was caused to think about listening to John Mayer's album last week where I definitely tend to listen to the musicality of his voice more than what he is saying. And it was the first time that I had read some of his lyrics and really been like, oh, that's what he's really saying here. I feel like that's the same for this album with me too. I'm drawn into just the overall music experience and not so much the material itself. Um, because of that uh, and kind of the the joke I made about thinking of him kind of as a millennial Bob Dylan in a way, he's doing his own thing. He's making it happen. And maybe I don't agree with everything he says or does, but it's interesting. It's fun and it's entertaining. And I want to listen to it. I'm going to give this album four out of six strings. And, uh, I, I, I do like this album. I don't know that I'll listen to it regularly moving forward. Uh, I've definitely listened to it enough in the last week to be ready to take a break. Uh, from him for a, for a while, but uh, I enjoyed it. Four out of six. Well, good. I'm I'm glad that you. Uh, I'm genuinely glad that you get what he's putting down because, like I said, I don't think I don't think he's a three out of six string musician. I think I had a three out of six string experience, mm -hmm. um, and he is. Like, you know, like a lot of those people who can play multiple instruments and arrange their own music like that. I mean, he's talented. There's no denying that. Um, do you want to get into favorite and least favorite tracks? I really do. And I'm going to go first with my favorite. Um, do it. You know, n nine out of the 13 songs on the original album became singles. And kind of my unspoken rule is I will not find a single as one of my favorites, uh, but it's kind of hard to do when the most of the material is a single. Uh, yeah, it's a so, challenge. So at the end of the day, um, kind of thinking that I really liked Foreigner's God and I liked Jackie and Wilson. Those are kind of my two favorites. And uh, I think I'm going to pick Foreigner's God in the moment. Uh, those There are lyrics in Foreigner's God that I actually really like. Uh, yeah, that lyrically, that one is kind of thought provoking when I was reading it today. I was like, oh, that is like an interesting, so, an interesting song. Yeah. So that one's my favorite. And uh, I'm going to stick my uh, my stake in that one. How about you? So my favorite uh, was early on in the, the album. It's that tune, Jackie and Wilson. And that's why um, I didn't pick it. So there you go. When I saw it <laughs> well, was your favorite, I was like, you. cool. It's that's covered. so nice. Yeah, you had, you had multiple <laughs> options. I only had the one. Um, I like the emotional tone of that song. It's very bouncy, kind of a little bit closer to like an upbeat kind of R&B tune. Um, I did have in the notes here, I picked on his, the riff for that song because it's open. It's the guitar is tuned to an open tuning, which means that you can just strum the strings as is and you get a nice chord out of it, which is not the case with a traditional, mm -hmm. a traditionally tuned guitar. Uh, 
And so what he's doing in this riff is he's just like barring the entire set of strings and going up and down the neck, mm-hmm. which is kind of lazy. Brilliant. But, no, <laughs> but well, I mean, there is something to be said for keep it simple, stupid, because I'm mentioning it because it's my favorite track on the album. Uh, I think it's like equal parts, dumb and clever, like, Guitar in the mechanics of guitar playing, which I hope I'm not boring our listeners too much. Um, it's super simple, but he also like it's a good workaround, like, and so that in addition to like the the hook, like the chorus is really fun. Um, and even if I don't like the lyrics, like that song is a lot of fun, and I have caught myself humming it so. I can't complain that bitterly about this album because it's been stuck in my head a little bit. Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm glad you found something to like on this album. We've said that a couple of times. Yeah. uh, There was plenty to like on this album. I think the stuff for me just overshadowed the stuff I like, but what was your least favorite? What did you not like? For me, the least favorite song was an easy pick and that is, in a week featuring the vocal talents of uh, Karen Cowley. And I think she's a good vocalist. I just, Mm -hmm. this song doesn't fit the rest of the album. And I feel like I lean on that a lot. Like it just does not flow with the rest of the album. The, the, the vocal delivery of both of them. And it just doesn't work for me. I, it's hard to be to pinpoint what I don't like about it, but it was the track that when I started skipping around the album, it was the track I skipped almost every time. So it's it's kind of a little taste of Led Zeppelin three, but if you were getting that in the middle of Led Zeppelin two, like it's <laughs> real soft and folksy, and it kind of the song that one I almost had that as one I complained about um, earlier on in the episode, just because it kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. Like it's, it's a sweet tune. It's kind of nice, but it, I, I agree with you. It doesn't really fit. And what doesn't, now that I'm thinking about it, the thing that I can pinpoint that I do not like about it, that I like about a lot of the other tracks on this album is just how big all the rest of the tracks are mm-hmm. without being overly complicated. So they're, Absolutely. they're big without being overly complicated. And this is just, something it sounds like they played in the back of a van and decided to put on the album. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can dig it. So what was your least favorite? Uh, so I could die having never heard, take me to church one more time and it would still be one time too many. Um, I just got so tired of that song. And the, the thing that makes me sad about it is if it's a song that had been played less on the radio, I would like it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about the, the religious aspect of some of the lyrics. Um, you could kind of read this song as like a not so subtle dig at the church. Um, uh, you know, those ideas are kind of hidden behind lyrics about Hozier's horn dog obsession with whatever woman is the subject of that song. Um, but it's not like it's not clever enough for me to go like, oh, yeah, how cool. Like it just comes off as like kind of weird and gross. Um, I don't know. I'm not here to kink shame anyone, but I'm also, (laughs) I'm not about that song. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, I think that's a good place to end. I liked it. It rubbed you the wrong way. We, we're (laughs) just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna agree to disagree and go to the Oracle and eat a cookie or something. Yes. Eat a cookie, uh, bend some spoons with our mind. Absolutely. So this week we're picking from your list. Uh, looks like today there are 42 on it. So one of 42 chance. Let's see what we're told we're listening to next. Number 37, which you just added to the list uh, a couple of oh weeks boy. ago. The Alabama Shakes Sound and Color. Yes, I am. I say this every week. I'm excited because I like all the music on my list. Otherwise, it wouldn't be on the podcast. I think I'm going to go ahead and close the show if you're ready, man. Yeah, let's do it. 
Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. We had a great time having our conversation about Hozier. We hope you enjoyed it as well. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it. Leave a five-star review. We love reading your comments. We may even read them on the air in the future. Yeah, and uh, if you have something else you'd like to say to us in more detail that can be left in a review or a comment, go ahead and shoot us an email at two dudes and tunes at gmail.com. And don't forget to hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. With all the house buying this week, I was a little lax in my uh, social media engagement, but I promise we are keeping an ear to the ground for it. Um, be sure and tell us what you thought of Hozier. And don't forget to tune in next uh, Wednesday when we get to hear Brittany Howard get funky fresh. It's going to be great. We'll see y'all next Wednesday. 